into the word of God today. Amen. We are continuing in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, this year we have been studying the priestly order of Melchizedek, understanding what God designed as the royal priesthood before the Levites, uh -huh. and what Christ has come to fulfill in us, and how he wants us to continue in that. Amen? Amen. But nevertheless, uh, we've been studying the order of Melchizedek, that priestly order, and so once we have an understanding and the definition of the purpose of that priestly order, and how Christ fulfilled that, has reconciled that, and will truly reconcile when he comes back as king to sit on the throne of David, uh, we will see even more so that order fulfilled. Till then, we have been given the charge to, to take up the priestly order, to, to fulfill the priest side and the prophet side, um, and waiting on the king to arrive, and to be his representation of those two orders in us. Um, but what do we do with that? And that's what we've been studying in the book of Acts. The, um, the book of Acts reveals the acts of the saints, mm -hmm. and what they did post-Christ's ascension. Amen. And uh, so we want to know what God's example of uh, walking in the priesthood and the priestly order of Melchizedek, we should probably look at the apostles because they were the ones that were trained and told to do so. Amen. Amen? Uh, so that took us to Acts chapter 2 during um, Pentecost Sunday on last Sunday. Mm -hmm. So we're going to pick up at Acts chapter 2 with a couple of verses toward the end that we didn't get to on last week. Amen. So this is the Acts of the Saints. Part two, part two is subtitled, A House is Not a Home. Okay, okay. A house is not a home. Let's sing. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. That noise is lifting for my singing. I need it. I need it back. I heard Lettucey. I need it back. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved, those who were being saved. Um, let's. Let's look at something in the middle of verse 46 here, toward the end of verse 46. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So uh, Peter has just uh, given an awesome uh, message on um, uh, to the Jewish population that was gathered and assembled on uh, for Passover. Um, when the spirit of the Lord fell upon the apostles and the disciples that were gathered in the upper room. Um, and they had like clothes of fire over the top of their heads and they spoke um, in unknown languages, languages that they were not familiar with, but they were actual languages that those who were traveling for Passover could understand and their, their native tongue. Amen. And they marveled at this and Peter began to explain that this is a sign of, sign, uh, of, of prophecies fulfilled with sons and daughters prophesying. And um, that this is more so a representation of the reconciliation that God had in the tower, with the Tower of Babel when all nations were dispersed into different languages, he has then reassembled all these nations uh, through the diaspora of the Israel population. Mm -hmm. All right, and so now they have been through their um, stubbornness, through their um, rebellion, mm -hmm. um, have been dispersed into every nation. 
And what Satan meant for their harm, God is then now working uh, for his good and for his will to be done. And now they are gathered and assembled yet again. Amen. Now from other nations, but still being a part of Israel. They were gathered and assembled, uh, representing multiple nations all over the world um, in unknown tongues. While they still understand Aramaic, they still have their own nationalities from where they were dispersed. Mm -hmm. So the, the disciples and apostles speaking in this language is unifying humanity through Christ. Amen. which was the goal from the Tower of Babel, to be unified with Christ and not to be unified apart from God. Amen. Does that make sense? Amen. So now they're back to unified, and this is a powerful move. We see there's something unique in the, the idea that they, they, according to Scripture, they sold all their goods um, in verse somewhere around verse 43. Uh, Fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all uh, so uh, as anyone had need. This was a unique situation um, that we see in the early church where everyone was so unified in how they thought that they wanted to make sure everyone had what they needed. In order to do that, they sold their possessions. Can you imagine the type of mindset you have to have to know that Christ is gonna return and that you, you will sell your possessions because you don't need them mm -hmm. as much as you thought you did? Right. That's a big deal. Yeah. So they sold all their possessions in order to make sure, and they just live with, and this is the next couple of verses, it says with simplicity of heart. In essence, we're so focused on what God is doing, on who Christ is, that we don't even need this stuff. Uh -huh. Now, I say this with my mouth. But I have a hard time, anybody else, yeah. trying to wrap my mind around the type of sold outness that you have to have to say, I have no need of things. Yeah, true. Hello? Yeah. And is the focus here to make sure that we know we don't need things? It can't be because they sold their things in order to provide needs for other people. So I don't think the idea here is to focus on what we don't need and how we don't need things, but there's something that God is making sure we understand about his house. Yeah. Hello, somebody. Amen. Something he wants us to understand about his house. Amen. You know, the song Luther Vandross sings that song, a house is not a home, but not two of us. I love it. What he ends up saying is, you can have a chair, and even if there's nobody sitting in your chair, it's still a chair. Yeah. And you can have a room, and even though there's nothing in the room, it's still a room. But he says, but a chair is not a house, and a house is not a home. Right? Yeah. He says, but a home is, a house is different. Right. A house is not a home unless there's somebody in it. Right. Yeah. Right. Hello? Yeah. Then everything else you could have, a chair would still be a chair. Right. It would still have its functionality. Hello, somebody. Yeah. And a room would still have the functionality of a room. Hello? But a house would not have the functionality of a house unless people are actually dwelling in it. Yeah. Hello? Uh -huh. So there's something in this because now the New Testament church, after the ascension and this great preaching, and uh, I mean, Peter preached, 3,000 souls were saved. Later on, we're going to look at when 5,000 souls came in because we thought that was the greatest. It wasn't. Then we see that after that, daily, God began to add to the church through them having a gathering of the simplicity of heart. Yeah. Just the simplicity. It was a unified goal, right. a unified a vision, and simplicity of heart. Right. 
this is this was so intriguing to people that they flocked to the believers. It seemed as if they had escaped the rat race. It seemed as if they had escaped the grind. It seemed as if they had escaped. Y'all don't want to help me. Y'all don't want to help me preach because you're afraid I'm going to tap on something you don't want to be tapped on. But secretly, you know you desire to be free. We desire to be free, but we don't want to give up nothing. Hello? Isn't that how that works? We all want freedom, but we don't want to lose anything. But some of the stuff you have collected are the very things that have bound you. Hello, you don't want to be fair today. You don't attach yourself to this person. Now you can't think without them. You can't go nowhere without them. You can't go, I don't know what they're doing. I need to, I don't, I wonder now my whole life is consumed by this person and what they feel and what they want and what they think. You did that to yourself. Hello, somebody. You acquired something that you cannot seem to maneuver out of. You wanted this job, now this job takes all your time. You wanted this promotion, now this promotion takes all your effort, all your energy. Hello, somebody. So now you added these things, and now they have become so great in your life that they have literally bound you to them. Is the thing the problem, or is your mindset the problem? And what I'm going to preach to you today, it ain't the thing, it's you. Amen. It's how you allow these things to encroach upon purpose and truth and passion. And you allow them to change the direction of your life. Uh-huh. Well, we're supposed to be set free. Amen. Amen. It's a terrible thing when you know you're meant for greater, but you can't quite do greater. Come on. Amen. It's a terrible thing when you know that you're destined by God to have life and life more abundantly, but you can't seem to get out the bed. It's a, y'all don't want to help me today. It's a terrible thing when you know that you're supposed to be going left and all your feet point to right. Y'all don't want to play that today. Supposed to be up, but I'm always down. Can y'all help me preach? I don't feel like y'all really want preaching today. You want me to just say amen and go home? We can do that. But it's the truth. You desire these things in your life, but you have no earthly idea, one, of what it takes, and two, nor are you prepared to do what it takes. And a lot of people sit on the wisha, shoulda, coulda. I wish I, I coulda, I shoulda. And when you meet somebody that says, this is what it takes, you don't even, I'm preaching, but I'm already there. That's okay, I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you there in a second. Because I know y'all got somebody in your life, at least one, that will tell you what it takes. And you will flat foot refuse because you too scared of losing something, because you too lazy, because you procrastinate too much, because you're worried about the pain so much. I can tell you this is what it takes, baby. I know this is what you want, but this is what it takes. And you're like, I just can't, I just can't, I just can't. And my book, I said, well, stop saying you want it. Amen. And this house, we make it very plain. Don't come to me telling me you want something. And I sit down and spend hours working on the master plan to help you get to that. Ministering to you and counseling you and talking to you. And we going through it all with your personality and your character in mind and your life situation in mind. And we come up with a blueprint and then you don't even follow it through. I hate when people do that. Because then it makes me realize you are more talk. And it's a waste of time for me to help somebody who really is just all talk. 
You know it's good for you to say these things. You know it's good to desire these things. You know it's right to want a godly marriage. And it's right to want a good husband and a good wife. And it's right to want a good job. And it's right to finish school. You know it's right and it's good to say. But down on the inside, you don't really want it. Because once I show you what it costs to get it, then you start backing up and sliding and slipping and dodging all of a sudden. Well, I had to learn the hard way when it comes to pastor. You can't want for people more than they want for themselves. Amen. I tell you, and I watch you. You attempt to take that first step, you falter, it's fine. We ain't going nowhere until you take that first step. Amen. You, you want to skip to the good part. Yeah. How many people have been with me? Pastor don't let you skip to the good part. She don't let you skip. You can do it on your own, but you are not going to get her seal of approval. And everybody love that good seal of approval. And you feel like God is watching me when I get a seal. I got that seal of approval. You ain't past that first step. I mean, it's your life. You can do whatever you want. You understand? But you ain't going to get me to celebrate it. Yeah. Well, that's nice. I support you. <laughs> Call me if you need me. All I can think of disaster. Not that it's gonna fall apart per se. In most cases, it doesn't. What you're gonna end up with, which is even worse than a falling apart, see, breaking has the propensity to always produce more life. Oh, what is worse than breaking is when things remain the same. Oh, oh, what is worse about your situation is that you never change. The initial stuff that breaks, there's automatic change when it breaks. When it gets to rock bottom, there's automatic change. When you lost everything, when you ain't got nothing left, when it's automatic change, you gotta rebuild and restart from nothing. That's automatic change. What is worse than that is when you remain the same. A lot of work I try to convince people. We need to put change here. And they hate change. You understand. And so they go back to how they're used to doing it. And what they say, well, this really works for me. I know me, Pastor, and this really works for me. And I'm thinking, well, if you know you so much, and this works for you, then how in the world did you end up in this situation? And not only did you end up in this situation one time, but you end up in this situation multiple times. So apparently what you think works for you doesn't work. And all you're really telling me is that you desire stagnation. You just know you're not supposed to say that out loud. You're not supposed to want somebody to abuse you. You're supposed to say, I don't want her. I don't want her. I don't like it. That's not true. Because all your actions say that you're going to stay connected. Yeah. You know what's right to say. You know what it looks good to say. People are going to think I'm crazy if I don't do this, you know, if I don't say that. But none of your choices and decisions go in that direction. Jesus. And I'm the one that watches for your soul. Hello, somebody. So I watch your choices and decisions. You can justify them. And I will support your justification. But I've already checked out and realized you will have no change. So my efforts are minimal. I don't want no meetings. Pastor can I meet me. What do you want to do about That's all right. They, they ready for no change. You want to meet more than you actually do. Jesus. You ain't ready. You ain't ready for change. You want to talk, 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 and I ain't see you do, do, do yet. I ain't see nothing happen. The first thing I actually do, you ain't even do, but you want to meet again. You want to talk about why you didn't do. 
Sisters have to cancel because people really just want to talk about why they didn't do something. Right. Sister Gabrielle is notorious for this. She wants to have conversations about why she did not do something correctly. And when I push you back, why you won't let me talk? Because I'm not going to have a conversation with you about why you didn't do what you were supposed to do that you knew you were supposed to do. What we need to do is talk less and do more. One of the better traits that Sister Janai used to say, that I used to get on my nerves, but I got it. I understood where she was coming from. I ain't going to say nothing. I'm just going to show you. That's what I'm talking about. Could you not say nothing and just show me? Can you, can you just stop talking about it and do something about it? But the issue is that you have to carry the idea that you failed on the last one waiting for a new opportunity. And you don't like carrying that, so you want to dump it on somebody else so that can help you carry your disappointment. Uh-uh, baby. You carry your own disappointment that you failed yet again. Hello, somebody. And now you're waiting for an opportunity to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not supposed to make you feel good in that. Because not every bad emotion is negative. But not every negative emotion is bad. Sometimes you need to carry that disappointing feeling for a very long time. So when you go to make that same silly mistake, hello, somebody. Brakes break is pumped. Brakes is pumped. Hello, somebody, but because somebody decided to help you feel good, you know, help you not feel so bad about your failure, you know, because you're looking so pathetic. You threat to make a, a mess of your life. You make threats that you'll, you'll leave God and, and then you'll kill yourself or, or you'll, you'll destroy your family. And, you know, you make these big Swooping threats on the inside. I know I'm talking to somebody in here. As if you just looking at God like, I will wreck all of my soul with your silly self because you need somebody to come and handle you with your disappointment. Not recognizing that you need that negative emotion. You need it to fuel you to do better. Maybe it ain't supposed to feel good. And now I gotta come over here and I gotta console you. It's gonna be alright. And I know I'm giving you bare minimum. It's gonna be alright. It's gonna be alright. You like, can you got any more? No, I don't have any more now. I better just be giving you this. You need this negative emotion. You need it. Ain't nothing like a bad doctor's report to make you start thinking about getting healthy. Hello? Don't you need that? Hello, somebody. Some of y'all had bad news that turned your life upside down and you needed it. You needed that. I am not here to be your babysitter. I told God if we're going to start a church, it ain't because I'm babysitting for They're going to have to grow. When y'all start growing, that's when I want to quit. I'm not doing this. I'm not babysitting for They're going to grow up to be warriors and get some more people. They're going to grow them to be warriors. We're going to keep doing the same thing over and over again. But y'all start getting into an icky mode. You know what I'm saying? But now you need double double prayers and double anointings. You need to anoint you twice and pray for you three times. What in the, where is your faith? Where is your passion? Where is your drive for the things of God? Where is your intuitiveness? Where is your motivation? Where is your inspiration? Where is your communion with the Father? Where is your intercession? Where is yours? Y'all ain't getting no fast food and you ain't getting flopped. Uh -huh. 
This got vitamins and nutrients and all kind of stuff in here for your spiritual war. Now you over here big, grown, muscle bound, and lazy. Lazy. Need me to call to you from a mistake that you made. Hello, somebody. If it ain't me, you need God to come and soothe your mistake. Because you hello, somebody. No, you just say, Father, you ain't got to soothe me. I'm just glad you're with me. You ain't got to prove that you're with me. I know you're with me. You ain't got to. I'm just glad you're with me. You know, I can't clean this up without you, but I'm, 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 I'm going to do it. I'm going to put mine in. Come on, somebody. I'm going to put mine in. I'm going to carry my cross. I'm going to bear my burden. You know, you don't get easy in your burden in this life. So the least I can do is at least take this much. It ain't that heavy. Is it too heavy for you? It ain't that heavy at all. Is it too heavy for you? It ain't that heavy at all. You preach it now. That's what you're supposed to be saying. I try to explain to people when they say, Pastor, why are you doing it? And I try to do things when you don't even know how hard it is. Out of love, you don't want, when you really want to do something, you don't want people to know how hard it really is. Because if they ever found out how hard it was, they would actually do less. But because you love them, you want to do more. So you try to hold, come on, nobody understands what grace is. That's grace. Hold on, somebody. To lift something and make it look like it ain't. Hold on, that's grace. To make it look like it ain't even hard. That's grace. People don't want to live with grace. That's it. Everybody got to know how hard it is for you. Uh -huh. Everybody got to see you over there. <laughs> when people start coming past me, you know, I wouldn't do it. Yeah, I was, don't even worry about it. You're purposely making me sure, making sure I know that this is a challenge for you. This is a sacrifice for you. And you can keep it. Not that I don't need it, but I don't need it that bad. I don't need you. I ain't Jesus. You ain't got to sacrifice to me. Hello, somebody. You ain't got to sacrifice to me. Amen. I'm not the father. Amen. When people give me something, I say, now that's a lot, Pastor. It's nothing. If they don't look like it's easy to live, I don't want it. Because I'm not Jesus. Amen. So we all start practicing how to live with grace. How to lift things as if they're not heavy. Not that we're not lifting. It's not that you're not carrying your responsibilities and your consequences and bearing your burdens and carrying your cross. It's that you're determined to do it by God's grace. You know what? Yes. As if it's not even heavy. That's good. That's good. Man. You don't have to deny it. You just have to know what your intentions are. Uh -huh. When the Father says, is it too much? You know it ain't. Hey, this is the least I could do. Uh -huh. That's good. Was that, it too hard? That's, no. That's the, that's the least I could do. You could be sweating. Hello, somebody. Like great drops of blood. No, it's not even heavy. Oh, I, I don't even, I love this. Technically, I, as people say, Pastor, you're built for it. The reason why you say I'm built for that is because I make it look easy, not because it's actually easy. Not because it's actually easy. Hello, somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. Thank you. I'm trying. When these apostles started building the church and God was adding to the church daily, uh -huh. it's because they recognized something that we cannot wrap our mind around, and that is some singular vision and focus that made life simple. Mm -hmm. That made life easy. Yes. And others who were bound 
found some peace and were gravitated towards these individuals who seemed to live a more simpler life. Yeah. Who had a, a, a simplicity of heart, the Bible says. Where it just seemed like they just took life and it wasn't all complicated. Huh? I try to convince people, Sister Glenda, I talked to her the other day, and she said something to me in a way that made it something complicated, more complex than it should have been. And my history as a pastor is anytime somebody says something complicated that should have been simple, there's something there. I don't even know what is in your heart. I just know that should have been simple. Yes, no, up, down, left, right. Well, I try to give you more information. Mm, but you gave me information I did not ask for. And the thing I asked for, you didn't give. Not initially. So thus, we're making this complicated. We're making it complicated. But that lets me know there's something in your heart. Now, I still don't know what it is. But that's your personal business. But I can definitely tell you, you might want to check that. And people were swerving down in that right, Sister Glenda. Mm-hmm. For almost two days, it's nothing there. It's just a difference of communication. See, that would work if I was not familiar with communicating with you for over eight to 12 to 15 years. If you've been communicating with someone, you know how they communicate. Hello? So even, that doesn't work. So now while we start making things complex, this is how life works. We start making things that are very simple. Trust God. Love God, love the saints. Love God, love the brethren. Love God, love the brethren. So simple. What decisions you gotta make? Well, how does this reflect my love for God? And how does this reflect my love for the brethren? How, how simple is that? Very, very easy. And then we have to make it complex. Well, what about my retirement and my balancing of my soul? And what about my social life? And what about when I get married? And how will I get married? It's got to be more than just loving God and loving the brethren. I mean, what about, see how you just added a whole bunch of stuff. And now this whole bunch of stuff got you over here looking crazy trying to get a man. Over here looking crazy trying to figure out who your wife's going to be. You got you all over here in left field because you decided to complicate something that was very simple. Love God. Love the brother. He will add that. Seek you first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added to you. What is the things that you need? I mean, how simple is that? It's your fear and lack of faith that complicates things. The controlling spirit that makes things complicated. You don't know how to let go. No wonder the, the good and bad about me is I know how to let people go. It took me a while. It took me a mighty long time before I started passing this church to figure out how to had to go through something real, real horrible to learn how to let people go. And recognize that there is a benefit to learning how to let people go. Some of y'all don't know how to let folk go. Every boyfriend you ever had, you still want to be their friend. You still want to know if they're going to be thinking about you. You still want to think about their feeling. You know, every girlfriend you ever had, are you still, do you still like me? Are you still think I'm cool? I mean, we still left on good terms. You know, you over here trying to make sure that people you don't even roll with day to day have good thoughts about you. 
my day-to-day life. But I got to make sure you got good thoughts about me. Bending over backwards for stuff like this. And that, this is not that it's bad. It's that now you can't focus on really what really is important. Because you're trying to be over here and play nice with everybody that's no longer walking on the same path as you. When you trust God, you let people go. You just do. I don't know if you know this, but God is a jealous God. And he can be as close to you as you want him to be. Now, some of y'all have a very distant relationship. Because the house is not home. With God. Hello, somebody. But he's, he's, he's of the nature, I will be as close to you as you want me to be. And I like him so close that people have to squeeze in time with me. Like, can, Pastor, can you, are you listening to me, Pastor? Are you, are you talking to God? Are you listening to me? Are you talking to me? Can I? Pastor. And people have to say, excuse me, Pastor. It's dead solid in the car. Excuse me, Pastor. I was not even with you. I was with him. Squeeze out time. Because he's priority. He's number one. I create a whole bunch of space. For him to feel it. Y'all don't want to play fair. I make things for him to feel. Well, can you feel us on the retreat? I got this. We're going to do this thing. Let's let's go walk over here and plan in that. Well, can you do this? I create stuff. Well, what about this person? Like, me and them got a good relationship as they pass it. What can we do over here with this? Me and Janai are going to stay at the house for a little bit. What can we do with this? Can you feel this space? I create things for him to feel. You trying to live your life separate from him. You invite him time to time to visit. So good, Pastor. You invite him to visit his own house. Great, great, Pastor. And what's even funny is you have to tidy up before he gets there. Oh, Jesus. How you got stuff to clean before the actual homeowner shows up? morning devotion. Jesus. I love a good evening prayer. Hello, somebody. I love it all. But if you think them the only two times that I'm with the Father, you have lost your mind. This is the two times we are alone together. Amen. But you see me, you see him. It's obvious that tonight, man, she said, Pastor, everywhere you go, people just, they don't even know. They can feel it. Everywhere I go, people feel the presence of God. Yeah. Somebody at the concert said, you smile. It's like Jesus just walked in the room. The, 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 man, the, the man may not be saved, y'all. Okay? Yeah. He said, I don't know. He just smiled, and it just made me feel like I was just blessed by God's presence. I've never met this man yeah. a day before yes. in my yes. life. Yes. Yes. Every time I look up, he's trying to have a conversation. Hey, you doing? I, he don't even know what I do. I never even said what I did. Yes. Babies, pets, animals. There's something about when the presence of God is with you. Hello, somebody. People just seem to know it. On the sidebar is if I go out on a Saturday and I had to show this to Janiah, I said, Janiah, we're gonna, I gotta write this message today, so we gotta keep it where I get in and get out. She said, okay, but she didn't understand what I meant. So we go to the new house and we got a, a bench that just arrived. And so I put the bench in the in the in the in the garage. I'm not dealing with that today. I gotta write a message. Do you understand? So I'm just here to unlock the door, to let contractors in, blah, 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 I'm going to leave. Uh-huh. Janiah says, well, let's put the bench together. Uh-huh. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea, Janiah. We only had the stuff, you know, 
We're gonna put the bench out there and even no decorations. It's gonna look weird. No, no, come on, Pastor. I'm excited to see it. This thing that should have took five minutes took over an hour. Because the Allen wrench kept slipping and the screws kept falling. I mean, it's so simple. And I said, Janiah, this is why I don't do stuff on a Saturday when I have to repair a message. She walked with me on the next Saturday. She said, everywhere we went, people were rude to me and I was nice. She said, she said, I was getting indignant how many people were just rude to you. I was like, it happens. That's why I don't like being out in these streets. It happens all the time. Because just like godly people can sense the presence of God and they don't even know why, so can demons start sensing. And these people that got demons, they just agitated by my presence. And I have done nothing. I have been, I'm not even nice, you know, nice nasty. I'm not even nice nasty. I'm for real nice. In spite of any that shit, I just can't. <laughs> this is why I stay at home. Right. That's why I stay at home. You don't want to be out there in that foolishness. Yeah. What I'm trying to say is how much space do you create for the Father? Yes. That's good. How often do you walk with him? Where people have to say, excuse me, I don't mean to interrupt. He looks like he were in deep thought. I was. Yes. You create projects for you guys to do together? Establish new ways that you guys can embark on a journey or an adventure together? Or is he just your, your sugar daddy? Jesus. You know to play nice right before you need something. Mm-hmm. Hello? So good. so good. You know to play nice when you've already fallen into a pit. Huh? Jesus. This is, this is the crust of why marriages don't work. That's so good. Because the God of love realizes that you are poor at loving. All right, I'm gonna move on. I don't know our way over there. Let's go. I'm just rambling on. Stay focused. That's all right. All right, amen. Amen. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Yeah. Just staying focused on God. But it was something that they focused on. Something true that they focused on. And we kind of get a glimpse of it just a little bit. At the top of verse 46, it says, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple. Stop right there. Anybody ever wonder why they still go in the temple? I mean, Paul himself has already indicated that Christ is a supreme sacrifice. That sheep's lay of the goats don't need to be done. Right. That he is the epitome of what we need to sacrifice for. He's already revealed that. Am I correct? Yeah. It's been made plain. He's preaching that, that that old covenant has been fulfilled through Christ. And we don't longer need that. That thing is passing. It's dimming out. Hello, somebody. He knew. But yet they're still going to temple. He knew that they're not bound by the law. That they're no longer bound to, uh, to, to do these types of sacrifices. But they're still going daily to the temple. Does anybody ever wonder why? Let's take a look. Because if it was me, and I knew, yeah, that's done. All that. That was Christ. That done. Bye. I wouldn't even go back over there. Because the, the, the true translation says, rather than from house to house, the true translation says that they, they met in their home. That would be the first modern church. That they had a place, not necessarily from house to house, but the Jewish translation says that they had a meeting place that was just for them. 
just for that for for them to meet. Right. So they still met at church, mm-hmm. but then daily they would go to the yeah. temple. Mm-hmm. They would go to the temple, uh-huh. and then they would go to church. Uh-huh. Temple church. Well, Let's take a look. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, it would seem natural uh-huh. that the disciples of Christ, I mean, because, you know, Christ was almost captured in the temple. They wanted to stone him in the temple because he, he said that he was the great I am. And, and, well, you know, inferred it. They wanted to stone him. The same people that run the temple are the same people that crucified him. Hello? It would seem more natural that the disciples would stray away from the temple yeah. since it wasn't needed. Yeah. I don't want to put yeah. that to that. Yeah. It would seem like you wouldn't want to be over there since you got your own thing going on anyway. And since they're going to try to come for you anyway, like they came for Jesus, it would seem like you would not be over there. And furthermore, I don't even understand why they would let you in. Right. Break it down, Pastor. Right. You talking good. Hello? Is these things don't run through your mind? It's sitting right there. Like, what? Why is she going to the temple? No, to really understand this, let's break down what the temple was. All right. All right. Now, the temple or the synagogue, all right, is most commonly known as the Bet Knesset. The Bet Knesset. Meaning the house of assembly. Alright, it's called a synagogue or a temple in I think a synagogue in Greek. Alright. Um, but it's the it's the it's the it's the house of assembly. Yes. Alright. The house of assembly. Yes. Alright. The house I remember when Sony did that bit. was a tent. You guys remember that? Yeah. When the children of Israel were taken out of Egypt by God's powerful hand, they traveled through the wilderness and God wanted to dwell amongst them, uh, his presence to dwell with them, so he gave instructions for Moses to build a tent, a tabernacle of meeting. Yeah. Um, when they finally made it to the promised land, uh-huh. and they did all the conquering and they took the lands for the most part that God wanted them to take, well, all the lands, but didn't kick out, so they kicked out everybody supposed to kick out, but nevertheless, they took all the lands that God intended for them to take. After many years of growing and establishing, King David mm-hmm. said, it's not right that I live in a house of cedar right. and God is dwelling in a tent. Yeah. Yeah. You remember that? Right, right, so this became a big deal. I think that's in 1 Chronicles 17 and 1, mm-hmm. if you ever wanted to look at it. So David said, you know what? Since this is our land, we are in the promise. Let's go ahead and build a more temp, a more permanent place yeah. for God. Yeah. Because I'm in a permanent house. Uh-huh. Finally, he needs to be in a permanent house. Because right. this is our land. This world is his. Is this world right? So I'm going to build something for God. Uh-huh. And lo and behold, eventually Solomon came along and built the first temple. All right, It was destroyed. It was rebuilt. And the temple at Jesus' day was the second rebuilding of this. All right, 
um, glorious as it as it may be, um, it was all designed from the idea that God wanted to be amongst his people. Right. And that he would rule, and, and true to prophecy, the Messiah would rule the entire world from Jerusalem. Right. Okay. Right? That his throne would be in the midst of these people. Right. And thus in the midst of the land that he promised them. Right? Amen. When you see Jesus' earthly ministry show up, he had a zeal for his father's house. Right. Oh, yeah. He did. When he recognized that they were, were uh, using God's house for profit, he had fit. Yeah. Made a whip, start whipping stuff and turning over tables. And you will not use my God, my father's house. It's a house of prayer. Now, what we don't recognize is that the word prayer is indicative, and sometimes we, we churchify it. But he's saying, My God, my father's house is a house for us to assemble and communicate with him. Right. It's a place for us to come in and commune with him. And you're making profit off of this. Trying to make it a commercial business. That's not how this is supposed to go. Yeah. It's a place where we gather together and we commune with the Father. Amen. Right? Mm-hmm. We talk to Him. And He with us. Mm-hmm. That's a beautiful location. Yeah. Jesus had such a zeal when his first one of the first times he ever left his parents, he was found in the household of God. Mm-hmm. In the temple. Teaching and asking questions. In true rabbi form. Right. When he was almost captured and stoned, he was in the temple. He visited the temple often, daily. He participated and loved it. To him, this was a physical representation of his father's house. Because from the very beginning, you have to recognize that this was inspired by a man who recognized that God had given him permanency in a land, and thus the father. Remember, God never asked David to build this. So true. Can you imagine if somebody gave you something? That you didn't even know, maybe you didn't know that you wanted, but you never asked for it. That's good. And they just said, I'm gonna build you a house. Uh-huh. You gonna build me a house? Uh-huh. I'ma build you a house. You gonna build me a house? I'ma build you a house. If somebody decided to come in and smear mud all over the house, how angry would you be? Uh-huh. If somebody decided to take your house from you, how angry would you be? Uh-huh. When you recognize that this was an act of love, come on, y'all don't want to put yeah. in all of Israel's history, they always had to do exactly what God told them to do because they didn't know how to love properly. Yeah. Don't do this, do this. Don't do that, do this. Don't it was always commands. Don't do this, do that. Don't do this. And it was always centered around their unrighteousness. Right. Here is the first time that they said, you know what? We want to do something for you. And it has nothing to do with us. We want to do it because you have been so good. You didn't yeah. ask us for it, but we just feel like this is just right for us to do. This is the first time that the babies got together and said, we're going to do something amazing for you, not because you mandated it. Yeah. Good. Not because you commanded it. So good. But we see the blessings that you've given to us. Right. And it's the least that we can do. You want to talk about having God's grace? Uh That unmerited favor? Bump that. Can you do life and make it look easy? That's grace. Uh To do life and you make it look easy. To be a parent and to make it look like you were built for that. To be an employee and to make it look like that's exactly what you were called to do. Uh You you just make it look easy. See how far from God's grace we really are? Everything is a struggle. Uh And it looks like it. 
David said, nah, we're going to do something for you. You ain't even want this. We hope you're going to like it. We're going to try to put the pattern that you gave us for this one. We're going to put it, but we're going to make it. And everybody going to know this world is yours. And, and, that, and then not only did it say this is something we're doing for you, but this is something we're doing that recognizes who you really are. Right. So not only are you giving me something, right. but you're giving me something that you can truly see who are you are. You know the great I am. Now how much better is that? That not only am I going to give you something, I'm going to give you something that is perfectly fitted for who you are and who you're going to be. That's good. So when Christ shows up, he has a zeal for his father's house. Do you understand? Uh -huh. He comes to his father's house and he recognizes, you know what? You're good here. Uh -huh. And on the surface, it would appear from day to day that this is a very lovely place. All his flock have gathered. They've begun to assemble. They're praying. They're singing. It's a beautiful time. Everyone is loving it. It's going off pretty well, isn't it? Uh -huh. But then as Christ approaches his time of passion, as those contractions began to happen more readily, the people of the house of God began to try to reject him and push him out. They began to show and display signs that really are not indicative of his father's house. And this is becoming problematic. When Christ is finally resurrected him and Paul comes up and says, is this Jesus that you crucified? Paul didn't want to let him go. Y'all the ones that said, no, give us the murderer. Barabbas over Jesus. Yeah. He said, it was y'all that did that. When Christ ascended to heaven, his disciples, in his honor and zeal for the Father's house, went to temple. Not because they had to. Not because they needed to. Because they wanted to. Because they wanted to say, we still believe that this and all of this will somehow be yours. That you will return and this will still be yours. That this is the land that you promised because you're going to rule the entire world from this seat. And we are here with great zeal and passion. That even though you crucified our Savior, he got up, he's coming back. And we're going to show up in here every day to make sure everybody recognizes that this belongs to him. They took the hardest road imaginable to show their dedication and faithfulness to the Father. I'll say that again. Uh -huh. They took the hardest road imaginable in order to show their dedication, similar to what David did. I'm going to show my dedication and faithfulness to the Father. Yeah. There was an easier way. Right. Preserve yourself. Meet at the church. Uh -huh. Gather in that house. Don't come over here. But that's not the path they took. Now God allowed it and gave them favor as they tried to walk under his grace. You understand. The more you're trying to make this not a big deal, that you want something, this is what you want to do, then God gives you grace or favor. Right. But we don't recognize what it means when God gives you favor is because you decided to do a hard thing as if it wasn't hard. That's, right. That's, That's when you get favor. You want favor, you ain't even doing nothing difficult as if you're doing everything difficult difficultly. <laughs> everything hard, everybody knows it's hard. Yeah. Oh, woe is me. You understand? But you get grace or favor with God when you want to do something that is hard as if it's not even hard. That's good. That's right. That's good. So then he gives you grace. That's right. So they show up and they're like, no, we're going to go. We're going to go. This is, this is our fathers. Right. This is Jesus. And now can you imagine having understood Christ now 
what they were experiencing when they walked in this temple? What type of revelation that they had about the Father? About all the sacrifices they've been doing all their lives and all the sheep and all the lambs and all the goats and, and all the birds and all the pigeons and all the grain and all, and all the smoke and all the candles and all the fire and all the holy seats and all the thrones. And now they're walking and going, my God, my God, my Lord Jesus, my Lord Jesus. And now there's so much revelation that walking into the temple of God was like looking at your home going, wow, wow, wow. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can relate because the Lord built me a house. Yeah. Recently the Lord built me a house. Last year it was the first year my mother passed and the year she had to pass, she passed, I um, thought I had to move, but I didn't want to buy a house. I, my goal was to to make sure my credit stayed ready for this. And we have to buy this. Or not this building, but something for us. Mm-hmm. And so my first purchase was always going to be the church, our building. Everybody knew this, right? I never really wanted a house. And so as the process continued, as you guys know, I walked you, you walked with me through this, how difficult it was, how challenging and stressful, mm-hmm. right up until the very end. It was so hard to push that bad boy out that when I sat in the house, I wasn't even that excited. Uh-huh. He was like, Pastor, I love the home. I'm like, it's all right. I mean, I'm grateful. Thank you, Lord. Thanks. But I didn't look like a person that was just given a house. Okay? I looked like somebody that was like, uh, more work. Uh-huh. Now, as I begin to, by God's grace, mercy, and financial blessings, put my mark on this house. Because uh-huh. you know I like to design things. Uh-huh. And everybody said, you're going to like the designing part. I was like, ah, oh, more design, more work. But as, I be able, as, I, as I'm able to start making a wall color, a certain color, certain style, tile choice, a little grass here, a little light there. Okay, so um, as I began to be able to put my own mark on the house, I began to love the house even more. I'm, I love this house. It's the best thing the Lord could have ever done for me. I didn't even imagine. But it didn't start off that way. It took time, and he knew exactly what I needed. Hello? She don't want it perfect. Let's give it where it ain't ready yet. And let's give her the opportunity to make it. And I can just hear the Father say, go ahead and make us a home. You want me to make us a home? I'll make us a home. I ain't got no money. Oh, you want to give me some money? Okay, okay, okay. Give me some money. I'll make, I'll make a home. Would you like this? Would you like, make like this? And then the truth in the matter is now you start, you start to like it so much that you can recognize how zealous you would be for something that the Father gave you. And how zealous Christ was for something that God gave his people. Yes. A place for them to commune together. Yeah, that's good. God said, I'm going to make sure that we have a place for just you and us no matter what comes. That's right. This is going to be our spot, right. our place. Mm-hmm. So the disciples continued to say, uh-uh, you might have crucified Christ, but he got up, he ascended, and this is still our place uh-huh. until it's no longer our place. When you look at the book of Revelation, the Jerusalem and Israel and that temple being rebuilt is centered for God's return. It's centered for Christ's return. To sit on the throne of David. To be in that temple right. where he is the one and not the ark itself. Do you understand? It is, it is perfectly fit. Yeah. But there's something that is missing here in all of this. Right? Because while Christ had a zeal 
for the temple. He also told them, I can destroy this temple and it be rebuilt in three days. No big deal. The actual structure, I don't think, was nearly as important. The house wasn't as important as the home. And you can see that he is saying, what difference does it make if we have a house, but we do not have the assembly of my father's children together in that build? Oh, come on. I don't want to play fair today. We need all of us together, but a house is not a home when two of us are apart. And the lyrics of the song go, and one of us has a broken heart. You rejected God. This is who he really was. You told him he couldn't even come in his own house. He couldn't even rule in his own house. And yet you still think you're going to dwell in this building? You have lost your mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now where is the God's home? Now where is the house of God? Now where is the house of God? He said, I can't put it in no physical location right now because people don't know how to play fair. Y'all don't understand. I'm going to put it in a place where the greed of man can't get to. I'm going to put it in a place where the trials of life can't get to. I'm going to put it in a secure place. Until I return. You can tell that the children of Israel, thank you, you can tell that the children of Israel, more specifically the the apostles and and the disciples, that they knew that they had something with God. Because it was obvious when they decided to sell all of their personal possessions. Uh-huh. It wasn't that there was something wrong with owning things. Mm-hmm. It was the idea that they knew that what difference does it make if we assemble uh-huh. that there's nobody to assemble with. Right. Mm-hmm. That they cared enough for one another. Hello, somebody. And making sure that each other, that that person was straight, and this person was straight, mattered more than having an actual building, an actual temple. So they took on the idea that having God's family reunited is more important in this day, in this generation, in this age, than having the actual building. That Christ died to gather his people, and then he will come and establish his place. The selling of the disciples and the apostles' possessions in order to make sure that everyone had what they needed was strategically done. Because they were more concerned with the people than the building. Come on and bless the name of the Lord. But whatever they had, they could sell. Okay, now this is one of the things that probably gave them great favor with the Sanhedrin. Because as long as they came in peaceful, and they did, according to Jewish tradition, any Israelite is welcome in the, the synagogue. As long as they come in peace, and they came in peace. And not to mention, not only did they come in peace, but their outstanding morality also welcomed them. They were known to have high morals. See, that's different than what we got in modern church right now. Christians back in the day were known to have high morality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then third, they were known to be givers. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. The Sanhedrin was like, we might want to come in because they break off some checks. You understand what I tell you? Them Christians, them the wayers, they be, they be writing checks. They be giving good alms. 
happened in the next story that shows up. And we're going to talk about that next story and then we're going to go home. Amen? Amen. When we get to chapter 3, chapter 2 closes and says that God was added to the church daily. That they were going to the temple daily. They were getting, given great favor or grace as they walked in and, and, and lifted up the house of God and saying that this is still the house of the Father. And they understood it. They weren't forced to do it. They weren't mandated. It was no longer necessary for the law for them to continue in that law. But they did it because they understood that this was the Father's house and they wanted to do a hard thing. Because they wanted to do a hard thing, grace was given to them. And then truth, you really want to study some of the doctrines. It says, but God even gave them signs. Now when you see the army circle about, that's when you need to start leaving. Start packing up. Don't go get nothing. Get out of town because the temple's going to be destroyed. And that's exactly what happened in AD 70. The temple was destroyed. And it happened just the way he said. And the true believers that understood the prophecy of God were warned and did not go to the temple. But left the city. Much grace and much favor was given. Do you understand? Yeah. So by the time we get to chapter 3, John and Peter go to the temple. And according to chapter 1, I mean verse 1 of chapter 3, they went to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those from those who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, uh, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand, lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, uh, so he leaping up, stood up and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Stop right there. What is unique about this particular story is we have a man who could not walk. And people were carrying him into... People will carry him into the temple at the gate in order to beg. Right? In order to get money because he couldn't work. John and Peter decide to go to the temple for prayer. And the lame man is at the gate. He asks them for money. Peter and, and, and John tell him to look at him. The man does. All right. So James, John and Peter. James wasn't there. John and Peter. John and Peter get to the gate. The man is lame from birth. Now this is significant because it indicates that this situation was not something that he did to himself. But it's something about how he was born. Something that he struggles with his entire life. Something, I don't know if you've been familiar with anything like that, but he was lame from, from birth. Anybody ever been there? Amen. 
Anybody had a situation in your life that you recognize I wasn't born this way? I know everybody else wasn't born with this, but definitely for me, I was born with this. It's something about how I think, it's something about how I move, it's something about how I feel, it's something about how I process things. I've been dealing with this since the day I was born. It's a real thing. And this man had no way of helping him on that. No way whatsoever. So he had a situation that he's been dealing with his entire life. Anybody ever been there? He's had it so long that he's had to rearrange how life is done. I don't know if you've ever done that before. That you can recognize that something about how you were brought into this world. Maybe it's your family situation. Maybe it's just the way you think. Maybe it's an actual ailment. Who knows what it is. But you had to rearrange the entire way that you live. Just to survive. See, you're not, you're not, you're not feeling yeah, this point. Yeah. I'm trying to preach. I want to help me. You see, I got the baby in my arm. You sitting over there, and I didn't try to help you. You ain't say amen. You ain't even clapping. You still just waiting on me to fail. You ain't what? You supposed to say preach, pastor. Try to be there for you. Try to be there for us. You supposed to be encouraging me. I don't need you shaking your head that it ain't supposed to be done. You don't know the things of God. Encourage. Let me have grace in this moment.
This man shows up and he has now rearranged his life. Forget thriving. Forget leveling up. Yeah. He's not leveling up. He's not, he's not surpassing people. Right. He's just trying to make it. Yeah. And every day he wakes up, it's just more of the same. Trying to make it. I wish, I'm sure he's thinking, I could hope about something greater. I wish I could hope about something better. But all I seem to be faced with is the idea that I just have to survive. I just have to survive. I have to sit at the edge of the gates. People get to judge me. People get to look at me weird. And I'm at their mercy if they give me any alms. Just so I could survive. Come on, now, come on. I can't even think about trying to be a millionaire. I'm just trying to eat. I can't even think about living holy. I'm just trying to not be a floozy. Do you understand? I can't even think about living holy. I'm just trying not to punch nobody in the face. You understand? I am, I am weak. Begging for scraps, crumbs. And this is where he shows up. Right there. John and Peter show up. He tells them very plainly. Silver and gold I don't have. But what I do have, I give you. And what he gives him wasn't healing. What he gives him was the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, you need to read the text better. He says, well, I don't have silver and gold, but that that I have, I give you the name of Jesus Christ. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, Nazareth, rise and get up. He gives him the name. What I think is paramount about this situation is that if John and Peter wanted to make a name for themselves, they could have. They could have, but they didn't. They could have, but they didn't. Okay, you don't have to that. They didn't make a name for themselves. They could have. They could have walked in this new power and thought, I mean, could you heal the sick? And they'd be like, yeah. If, if you want to be to get some healing, you need to come see about me. You need to come know about me. You need to come see about me. But he didn't. He lifted up the name of the Lord. He lifted up the name of Jesus. Amen. That's what he did. Yes. He pointed all attention yes. to the crucified Messiah. Yeah. All attention went to the crucified king. Yeah. All attention went to the one that they put on the cross. All attention went to the one that they rejected. Yeah. All attention went to the one that they thought was a loser. Yeah. All attention went to the one that they thought was automatically a failure. That's where all their attention went. Yeah. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Yeah. That man in the cross. Right. Yeah. Man born in Nazareth. Yeah. But still called the Christ. Yeah. In his name. Get up. About this situation, uh-huh. it's similar to Duke over here. Hmm. Is that when James, excuse me, I keep putting James, James was not there. Uh-huh. When John and Peter comes to the blind man, he takes him by the hand. Because the man doesn't, doesn't immediately stand up like Duke just did. <laughs> he doesn't. He sits down. Uh-huh. He sits down. He's lame. He can't walk. And Peter. 
and John had to take him by the hand uh-huh. and have to lift him up. Uh-huh. Literally have to lift him up. Yes. Yeah. Y'all don't want to play fair with right. He didn't say get up and walk. He didn't say get up and walk. He didn't say get up and walk. Somebody had to agree that the Father wants you to be healed. Wow. And like you know, you know you want it, but you can't get yourself to agree that that is what God wants for you. You know how you do. I know this is what I want, but I don't know if the Lord really wants me to have it. And I know this is what I need, but I don't know if the Lord, if I do my too damn bad, I don't know if I'm too long. just for you to help me survive. Yeah. Uh-huh. And John and Peter said, no. you don't know this Jesus of Nazareth. Right. You don't know this Jesus, the Christ right. of Nazareth. Right. He is not trying to make sure you just survive. Right. He's trying to make sure you get yeah. up. You don't want to play fair today. Yeah. Sit, 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 sit. I gotta show it to you so you can see it. Somebody had to agree that you could just pick him up. You had to lift him up with you. Lift him up. Hello? Yeah. You had to lift him up. Yeah. If you're a lame and can't walk, uh-huh. you could have just said, get up. And the man just, because the other time somebody was lame, they just got up and took that head. Took him by the hand. Lifted him up. And then said that immediately, his strength and his ankles and his feet. Yeah, yeah. Huh? He didn't get strengthened because he believed he could get strengthened. He didn't get strengthened. Because you know, when you're dealing with something for your entire life, belief is hard. Come on, somebody. When you've been struggling with something, you rearranged your whole life about trying to survive in a certain way, about trying to think in a certain way. You've only come to the realization that this is just my life now. This is what I got to deal with. And somebody says, but I'm going to do something. And it's not just going to help you survive. It's going to actually lift you from this place. You cannot have that in of yourself because you've never seen it before. Not only have you never seen it before, you weren't even expecting it. You don't want to play that again. You weren't even wanting it at that moment. Somebody has to take you by the hand and say, get up. Church. 
<laughs> but you don't want to belong to me. It's a difference. But nevertheless, will you belong to me? And Satan come for you. In my house. I'm just over here pastoring. And this wolf show up. He trying to take out my sheep. Now we just minding our own business. And I look up and you over here gnawing on one of my sheep's ankles. Hold on. I told her and I told some of you this before when it was your turn. As I'm just trying to get you, not just trying to restore you back. Y'all want to say that to me. I'm just not trying to restore back what Satan did. I said, you know what I said? He came into my house, the Lord's house, and he decided to steal from the Lord's house. I'm not just going to get what he took. you to survive. Yeah. He wants yeah. you to thrive. Yeah. 